Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw a fairly quiet market trade on Friday as we headed into the weekend. Welcome to Market Talk. Great to have you here with us once again. As always, I am happy to uh, have you along for the ride as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, and we have a busy show for you today. Ted Seifert, Zaner Ag Hedge, is going to join us coming up here as we get into the show, segment two and three today, and we will discuss the uh, latest in the market trade and look back at the last week in the trade plenty of news items really being watched in this trade the start of the week with the holiday shortened week was positive then we kind of slipped off towards the end then and just wrapped up mixed on friday we're gonna get ted's thoughts on the week of the trade and more coming up here as we work through the show today also, news headlines. We've got a few things we're keeping an eye on. The American Farm Bureau Federation, along with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and other groups, have filed a lawsuit challenging the latest WOTUS ruling, Waters of the U.S. rule from EPA. We're going to have details on that new lawsuit and more coming up here as we take a look at news headlines later on in the show as well. So plenty to discuss here today on Market Talk. Kicking things off, looking at the markets on Friday. Friday with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. I talk to Arlen every day around midday, uh, typically here. Get his thoughts on the market trade during that day's session. And again, relatively quiet on Friday. Not a whole lot of movement in the grains. Livestock, fairly positive day seen there. We had solid export sales for the week as well. We start our conversation with talk about the quietness in the grain trade on Friday. Here's Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Yeah, you're exactly right. These markets are just kind of chopping around and and not really going anywhere fast. Um, if, if you look at kind of some of the trends, we do see a little bit more weakness in the soybeans as traders are keeping an eye on weather forecasts that are making some promises of some good rains across Argentina. It's probably the best uh, picture that we've seen in the forecast for rains for Argentina in several months. Uh, the question is, will they verify that over the next 10 days? Will the rains actually come or not? Um, as we look at the extended forecast beyond the next two weeks, so it's starting to really look dry once again. So that's really limiting losses at this point. Uh, wheat is primarily a technical bounce this morning. I'm going to call it that as we're finding some support, some buying interest just above some major key support levels on the charts. But overall, those charts still look weak longer term. Corn is kind of trapped between these two markets. It started out weaker with the soybeans, but as soybeans are coming off their lows, corn's starting to go into positive territory. 
I do know early in the day, weekly export sales coming out on Friday, delayed with the holiday earlier in the week, looked like fairly robust sales. At least uh, quite a few of the numbers came in above pre-report expectations, Arlen. Yeah, as we look at export sales, and these were for the week ending January 12th, so it's eight days old now, calling for corn at 44.6 million bushels of old crop, 3.4 million bushels of new crop. And you look at those old crop sales, that's the third largest uh, weekly total that we've seen since the marketing year began on September 1st. But that just gets us up to where we should be for this time of year. Soybeans at 36.2 million bushels, starting to wind their way down now. Uh, wheat at 17.4 million bushels of old crop, 1.3 million new crop is a pretty good total as well. Uh, China was a featured buyer of soybeans, but most of those soybeans, the majority of those were previous purchases listed to unknown destinations, just kind of switching over. Overall, we're still way behind on corn sales for the year, have a lot of catching up to do. Soybean sales, we're a little bit ahead of where we need to be as far as sales. The question is, will the 10 million metric tons of sales that have not yet been shipped to China and to unknown destinations actually get shipped? And that's probably going to come down to uh, when the rains really allow, if the rains allow the harvest to progress in Brazil and those beans to be shipped to China. Well, and speaking of China, their beginning celebration of their annual Lunar New Year holiday, one has to wonder with a lot of folks in China stepping out for the holiday, what kind of impact that could have uh, here on the markets and on the trade over the next uh, over the next few days ahead, Arlen. Yeah, China pretty well shuts down for this holiday period. That means that the holiday, which is officially on Sunday, all of next week is part of that holiday then, and some will stay on holiday even beyond that. That eventually should be a good stimulus for their economy as people travel and eat out and do all kinds of things, spend money. Um, But uh, it also means that there's a lag in actual purchases on the global market. We don't see, we see a reduction of of purchases of commodities, but they pretty much are reducing their purchases of U.S. commodities right now anyway. Most of their attention is now shifting to Brazil, especially for soybeans. We should see some corn sales in the weeks to follow, probably after the holiday. And in the protein sector, cattle looking like they're squaring up positions here ahead of the cattle on feed report out after the close Friday afternoon. Hogs showing a little strength, especially those front month contracts. What are your thoughts on this protein sector as we wrap up the week? Yeah, pretty much green across the screen as we go into midday. And and, uh, even though this week's cash cattle trade, which we're still waiting to really fully unfold for the week, looks like a little bit weaker again for this week as as it was last week. Um, But we've already factored much of that in. The charts are looking weak, but we are seeing a little bit of profit taking. Uh, this morning, largely because we're seeing the cattle on feed report coming out this afternoon. Expect to show on feed numbers at 96.8% of year-ago levels. Placements in December at 91.5% of year-ago levels and marketings at 94.7%. That would be our fourth month of lower year-on-year inventories with peak supply now in a rearview mirror. That's providing a little bit of support ahead of that data release coming out this afternoon. And once again, that's market analysis with Arlen Suderman of Stone X from our midday commentary on Friday. 
Well, like other production costs in U.S. agriculture, cash rents have climbed in the last several years. Randy Dickoot is a farmland expert with Agricultural Economic Insights, and he says that cash rents usually lag behind other costs of production, and he says strong commodity prices are pressuring cash rents higher right now in some areas of rural America. With these good grain prices last couple of years, coming off some good cash flow years, you know, even back to 2019 and 20, or better cash flow years, in the high grain prices relatively in the last couple of years, that lag time on cash rents is starting to catch up and then they move up. Cash rents in the next couple of years are going to depend on yields. If yields are strong, rents will continue to go higher. If yields aren't good, that will ease the pressure. It's really going to depend on this year where the production, how good the yields are and stuff. You know, like this past year where some areas that the drought was hit harder, you won't see any pressure on rents to go up, really. Again, that lag effect, you base it on the previous year with the next year. So not as good an income for those farmers in those drought areas where the yields were good. Again, probably 10-15% up, maybe more. Again, on the bids where there's an auction or something or it's bid, they'll definitely go up more. For more information, you can go to AEI.ag. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the markets more in depth as we wrapped up the week. Ted Seifert, Zayner Agheads, joins us after the break. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now to take a look at the week of trade that we saw wrapped up on Friday. Plenty of news items to unpack and discuss and look at how this market has reacted here the past week. Joining us now is our good friend Ted Seifert with Zayner Ag Hedge. Ted, good to have you on the show. Thanks for uh, making the time today. I know you're traveling and uh, in Omaha here for some conferences today. Yeah, good old sunny Omaha. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Really big conference, good turnout. It's great to see people coming out and doing things. You know, it's uh, it's nice. It's nice to be on the road sometimes. Definitely. Well, glad you were able to make some time to be on the show with us here today. And uh, as I said, plenty of news items to unpack. Friday, fairly quiet trade. I know we're looking at South America weather forecasts with rain chances in Argentina. We had a pretty solid weekly export sales report early on that felt like it gave us some some news to talk about. China's headed into their Lunar New Year holiday. So, I mean, you know, wherever you want to start here, Ted, but there's there's quite a few things to unpack in this grain trade as we wrapped up the week. Yeah, and as you said, Jesse, export sales were were pretty good. And, and the good news is that it was corn that that beat expectations. Soybeans were within expectations and okay, uh, but it's nice to finally see a, a halfway decent corn number come out. Um, mm-hmm. That was really impressive. And also soybean meal. So, you know, feedstocks, uh, that's great. Aside from that, you know, this week has kind of felt like a, a bit of a tug of war. Uh, wheat finding a little bit of a bid there Friday, but corn has wanted to be relatively strong compared to the soybeans, which feel like they really want to come down. And, and I think that soybean weakness is tied into the fact that South American weather, Argentinian weather, looks a bit better. We know that this Brazilian crop is is coming online. And it's, it's you know, early harvest results we're hearing are maybe a little bit better than expected. Um, but then on the corn side of things, we still have to get through that second season corn crop before we can say, the supply situation, the tighter supply situation, we're out of the woods on that. 
But I will say, if we get through that second season corn in Brazil and they have the crop as advertised, it's going to be real tough to, to justify the prices that we're at. While our domestic balance sheet is fairly tight at a 1.25 billion bushel carryover, it's not really tight. And the global carryover isn't really tight. And we are seeing lots of signs of demand destruction occurring in corn. That was really highlighted on the USDA report that we saw last week. Uh, mm -hmm. Year over year, you look at feed demand down 443 million bushels. You look at our export expectations at the lowest level that we've seen since 2015, 2016. You know, they say it, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of cliches, but they say high prices are the cure for high prices. And you got to feel like that's kind of happening in corn. It, it not quite happening yet in soybeans, even though the crush has been, you know, a little bit lower than expectations. You feel that demand destruction happening in corn. And so now the question is, what happens if we start to turn the su supply spigot on that second season Brazil corn crop followed up by, you know, what, what if we what if we plant 88, 89 million acres of corn here? And what if we have a good growing season? And we're, we're not far away, Jesse, from the conversation again that we were having you know 2014 15 16 17 18 of we're oversupplying the market we're, global supply global production is outpacing the growth in global demand and and the multiple years of high prices is going to put a big damper on that 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 demand at some point we'll have to go and buy that back again um so that's the concern going forward there can be things to to keep markets higher again Mm -hmm. production problems second season brazil corn crop that's very much the focus going forward uh but if that that second season corn crop in brazil turns out good it, it's and it's gonna be tough because again we, we are seeing the demand kind of fall off a little bit well ted i've i posed this question to a couple folks this week i'll pose it to you as well as you look at old crop versus new crop now that we've got the usda reports past us and some of the different news items this week. Are you more concerned about downside potential in old crop, new crop, or or both at this point, Ted? It's a really good, it's a really good question, Jesse. I'm gonna say both because that's me personally. Um, but but if you look at the markets and you look at what's happening from a spread perspective. Mm -hmm. there's a lot more concern about further out in time, you know, and, and even if you go like into July, but that December contract is, is really been under a lot of pressure. And if you look at a March corn contract versus a December corn contract, they tell two very different stories. And what it's saying is that the market's still worried about tightness up front, i.e. until we get to that Brazilian second season crop right now, we are the corn game in the, in the world. Uh, so there is still that tightness reflecting the current USDA's old crop balance sheet. But you go further out in time and the market feels a lot more comfortable that those stocks will be there. And therefore, you have prices that have been under pressure. And again, that December corn chart is not it's been in a very solid downtrend uh, and has not broken out of it, unlike the March has. You know, with that report, we, we broke that downtrend line. We're trying to hold above it. Uh, but the December didn't do that. And yeah, so market saying that further on down the line we're seeing weakness because again we are expecting that you know demand's already fallen off to some extent now we just need to see one or two good crops 
between South America and us. And all of a sudden, you know, the global balance sheet looks much different. So if I'm a producer sitting in the Midwest getting ready for spring planting, I'm booking inputs, or I, you know, I'm looking still at old crop and have some old crop sitting in the bin, not sure if I should move it or not. We think about some of this downside potentials there. Seems to me an easy answer to protect some of that risk. Do something, something better than nothing Dude. at this juncture. Yeah. Can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely, Jeff. You know, this is not the time to be complacent. Um, you know, the market's kind of rewarded guys for being complacent for the last couple of years, right? Not marketing, not selling, and, and even just selling off the combine. That's That's gone well. But this is not the time to be doing that because, again, we are seeing that demand destruction. It's a great time to be selling cash. If you want re-ownership, there's call option strategies. Right now I'm putting on the uh, uh, the uh, uh, for December uh, new crop. I'm putting on uh, the 740, I'm sorry, 640, 720 call spread for around 18 cents. 80 cent upside potential on a $1.20 rally. It's a great way to re-own those bushels and capture, move to the upside. But if you're selling cash, you don't have any risk on the, on those bushels anymore. The risk that you have is the 18 cents you paid for the call spread, and that's your opportunity cost, right? Um, yeah, I get it. You know, at this time of year, even before we plant, we're not willing to go and sell 80% of our crop. We don't know if it's going to be there. Uh, so I understand that. You can still buy puts, but puts have gotten fairly expensive. You know, you look at a 550 put for December corn, you're paying 27 cents roughly. Um, which makes your break even 523. And you look at, you know, near $6 December corn, 523 doesn't feel all warm and fuzzy. In fact, that might actually be below some people's break evens. So I think we want to be really aggressive on export, uh, really aggressive on making our, our sales for new crop. Uh, I've got, I, I've been, been pushing guys to get 40, 50, even 60%, whatever we're comfortable with. Let's go. Because again, we can come back in and, and do these re-ownership strategies for relatively cheap that have all the time we need. And if the market goes higher, then great. We have that in place. Mm -hmm. But the big concern is, you know, I'm not worried about the, the market rallying a dollar. I'm worried about the market breaking $2.50. That's something that that we need to protect, especially with paying these high price inputs. This is the most risk that that we've ever had in a corn crop in any of our careers. So we got to do something to protect that. We got to make sure that we're not having a very uncomfortable conversation with the bank at the end of the year. Well, and it just feels like that's kind of the way that, you know, marketing in agriculture has gone now the last couple of years as more money comes into ag and we see prices of inputs go up, prices of commodities go up. There's just more money on the table. And so that old methodology of set it in the bin and forget it, the romp appeal method doesn't necessarily work nowadays throughout agriculture, Ted. Jesse, bins are a great thing to have. And in some years, they are they are the savior, right? This is not one of those times. They It will be again in a, in a matter of a year or two, maybe. But mm -hmm. right now is not the time to store and ignore. Now is the time to be aggressive and proactive on protecting the prices that we have because of the amount of money that you're spending on this crop. 
Very true. Great thoughts to consider there. Again, we are having a conversation today with Ted Seifert of Zaner Ag Hedge joining us here as we take a look at what's going on in the market trade, wrapping up uh, the trade action on Friday. Again, fairly quiet, fairly mixed day of trade seen on Friday. Livestock, a moderately higher day there, led by hogs. While again, it was fairly mixed in the grain trade. Wheat, uh, a little bit of a technical bounce. Soybeans down moderately. We're going to continue our conversation with Ted coming up here after the break back for more market talk right after this why are more people heating their homes with FS propane because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do when it comes to the comfort of your family trust FS we have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation safety and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS propane will leave your family with a good warm feeling all season long Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Jesse Allen with you here. Ted Seifert, Zayner Aghedge is our guest analyst here today on the show. Ted, crude oil. I, I know we like to talk crude oil, you and I. Uh, last time we talked, pretty much the same price level last time we talked. A uh, little bit above 80 uh, on the day on Friday to wrap up the week. But yet, we just don't want to seem to break out of this range. What's your uh, latest thoughts with what's going on in this crude oil market? You know, it's not the time of year, Jesse, where we would really see a significant breakout in crude oil without a really cold weather event, right? And heating oil leading the way. Um, you know, you talk about uh, gasoline demand, peak driving season. Well, that comes in the summer. Um, but yeah, it does really feel like crude oil is trying to carve out a longer term base here of really any of the commodities. I'm not bullish commodities as a whole. Uh, you know, you hear Goldman Sachs saying that could be the hottest sector, and and you wonder if that's the that's the death cross there. But um, but of any of them, really crude oil, because again, we've completely depleted our, our strategic oil reserve. We do need to refill that. You know, the Biden administration wants to do it in the 60s. Markets don't like to give people what they want, um, so we might have to do that higher. And again, yeah, I mean, at some point, an event will happen where we do either a heating oil event, i.e., cold weather. Or we just get to the, the spring and summer uh, peak driving season. You know, I look at July crude oil, like you said, trading 81 and a quarter. I think at some point we're going to go try that $100 mark again. So I, I do think there's upside potential. And I think what we're seeing, like you said, you know, same prices we talked two weeks ago. This is an overall broader basing pattern, it feels like. Um, there's a number of things, Jesse, that you know can throw a wrench into that mix. Uh, global you know, recession, pandemic again, you know, something, some sort of black swan event. But short of that, sort of short of something like that, I do think that crude oil is really trying to carve out a base here. Definitely, definitely. Well, and to thinking about uh, the broader economic picture and crude, you know, in the stock markets, et cetera, China. I know we continue to watch what goes on in China and the COVID issues that they've been having, the thought, the talk of their economy rebounding. I know their GDP was less than expected here, uh, come out a couple of weeks ago, but thinking about their Lunar New Year holiday right now, we'll probably see some more COVID expansion with that. I just wonder what the short-term outlook could be for China and what that could or couldn't do to the broader commodity sector here the next couple of weeks, Ted. 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great point, Jesse. And that's something that's been kind of goosing the markets this week. I mean, you've seen, you know, stocks under a fair amount of pressure. Um, but, you know, we've been talking about a slowdown in China and Chinese COVID for a long time. It's not a shock. It's not, you know, coming out of the blue. And a lot of this has been priced into the markets at this point. So, you know, the question is, what if we get three or four weeks down the line and there wasn't this major slowdown in COVID event and they are there? are let's say spending more money doing things on this lunar holiday um i i think all the negativity we factored in a lot of negativity in these markets and that doesn't mean that we can't have more negativity but the current negativity and everything you're talking about are things that we've been talking about and that i think has been priced into the markets for for the most part well and thinking about china hog prices have been wild in china here lately let's shift over to livestock We've seen volatile hog prices here in the U.S., a fairly decent day Friday, wrapping up the week. But as we take a look at that hog sector, what stands out to you with what's going on right now in lean hogs? Yeah, you know, hogs needed a decent day. Uh, we were very, very oversold after a precipitous fall off, right? Um, and, you know, China, we know that their hog herd is up dramatically, and they have their government asking hog producers to slow that down, take it down a notch which over time might mean good things for our exports, but we know they're oversupplied right now. So we don't have huge expectations or, or aspirations for our exports to China. You know, we know Mexico is our, our biggest partner. So, uh, you know, maybe Mexico, but you know, this all started, go back to that massive cancellation that we saw. And we've really not been able to pick our, our, ourselves up on, uh, since then, right? I mean, we've not really been able to find that export demand. And from a d domestic standpoint, you know, we had that that big increase in weights when uh, we had that major storm in the middle of December uh, that that pushed marketings back. And we've really not been able to work through that, which is a bad indication of, of domestic demand as well. So we've got a bit of a demand problem in, in pork or in hogs. Um, and while I do think we're oversold and while I do think we're, we're due for a bounce and I think we've maybe overshot the market to the downside. I just don't have a really good reason for hogs to go back up and make new highs anytime in the near future, right? That may come down further the line if if the Chinese producers do listen to what the government's asking, and Chinese government has a tendency to get what they ask for, um, and and then we see that production swing to the other side, and, and our exports all of a sudden start to pick up. You know, maybe that's something for further on down the road. But at least for right now, uh, I'm hoping that we've just defined the bottom end of a trading range that we might be. And, and maybe maybe we can establish some sideways trading going forward here, Jesse. Well, in the relationship between hogs and cattle, too, that spread between hogs and cattle has been very interesting to watch. It's been widening out. We, you know, we're talking ahead of a cattle on feed report out on Friday, which sounds like it's going to be another bullish cattle on feed report yet cattle market you know it doesn't seem to want to break out to the upside or or to the downside it's just kind of staying range bound here I, I wonder your thoughts that relationship between hogs and cattle are hogs being an anchor on this cattle market right now despite all the bullish storylines that are out there in cattle ted well they're certainly not helping right and, and that that like you said that that relationship or that spread between cattle and hogs uh, is abnormally wide, which should mean that there will be some choices made both by the domestic and by the, the global end users to maybe push towards pork. So that is something. But also you have concern about about uh, beef demand just based on, you know, like you saw it, like you said, 
we're worried about the economy. We're worried about the stock market. We're worried about, you know, global economy and, and what that means for demand. You know, are people going to be willing to spend on the what's considered luxury item meat, things like that. So that's kind of kept a lid on the cattle market. Now, we also have a bit of a floor because we, we've got this widely advertised slowdown in production for the next three quarters. We just don't have the animals out there. Right. So I don't think there's a whole lot of downside potential unless you really have, a again, like we talked about earlier uh, with crude oil. If you have that global recession, you know, that's big, you know, fear. If you get fear, that changes everything. But for right now, because of that drop in supply, I don't see a whole lot of downside. But because of our, our concerns over demand, it's really keeping the upside limited, too. So maybe that just means that, once again, sideways trade for now could be very true something to keep an eye on ted before we run out of time and uh, let you go here on the show today any final thoughts we, we touched on quite a few things i know there's just a, a lot of different news headlines swirling around these markets here as we work through the month of january so i'll leave it to you final thoughts anything you want to share with us yeah you know it, you know we really harped on you know corn and and managing risk there i think that's extremely important and while soybeans you don't, you're not seeing the same amount of demand destruction there. You look at the prices that we're at, you look at the, the potential for, you know, I hate to say, it, but I mean, at some point we're going to see a big drop, right? So I, I think you got to be pretty aggressive on, on your marketing there too. I just, I'm going to say it again. Now is not the time to be complacent. This is the most risk of any crop that we've ever had. And I say that specifically on corn because of the cost of inputs, but you got a lot of risk in soybeans too. And and so I think you really need to be looking at ways and strategies to protect that downside and, you know, <laughs> help you sleep at night. That's, that's kind of a, that's very important. That is very important. Well, folks, what a little advice to help them sleep at night when it comes to their marketing. I know they can reach out to you and the team there at Zaner. What's the best way to get a hold of you, Ted? Yeah, you can reach me direct, directly at 312-277-0113. Aside from that, you can find us on the web at www.zaner.com. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. I'm at the Ted Spread. Very easy to find him on Twitter and reach out to him as well. Again, zaner.com is a great place to start as well. Ted Seifred, Zaner Ag Hedge, thanks for joining us, sir. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. Always a pleasure. And once again, Ted Seifert, Zaner Ag Hedge, appreciate him joining us here on the show today. Before we hit the break, let's take a look at the uh, closing numbers from Friday's trade action again. Uh, beans down a bit, wheat up a little bit, corn stuck in the middle, fairly quiet day. March corn down one, 676 at a quarter. July corn up a quarter penny, 663 and a half. December new crop corn, that was down a half a penny Friday, 595 at three quarters. Soybeans March eight and a quarter lower, 1506 and a half. July down 10 and three quarters at 1493. New crop November soybeans. Uh, finished the day on Friday down 12 and a half, 13.52. March bean meal was down 7.50. It's on 4.63.70 on the day Friday. Bean oil for March, that was down 118.6197. So a little more liquidation in products. March Chicago wheat up 7, 7.41 and a half. July up 6 at 7.51 and a half. March Kansas City wheat 16 higher, 8.48. July was up 12 and a half at 8.35 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat for March up seven to three quarters, nine eleven to three quarters. July up seven, eight ninety nine and a quarter. 
March Oats up two and three quarters at 371. Canola down 1350 at 813.20. We look at the cotton market real quick as well. March cotton up 331 points, 86.70. July cotton up 304 points at 87.22. And over in the livestock trade, February live cattle up 67, 156.62. Live cattle for April up 80 at 159.92. June up 57, 156.57. Feeder cattle January down 17, 177.92. March feeders 87 higher at 180.97. And in the hogs, February up 117, 77.82. April hogs up 132, 85.72. May hogs up 62 at 93.80. That's a look at how the markets closed on Friday. Coming up next, before we wrap up the show, we'll take a look at some of the latest news headlines, including a new lawsuit suit against the latest WOTUS rule from EPA. That and more coming up next. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks again to Ted Seifried with Zaner Aghetch for joining us here on the program today to discuss what he's seeing in the market trade as we wrapped up the week on Friday. Well, we have some news headlines that we're watching as well. The American Farm Bureau Federation and 17 other organizations are challenging the new waters of the U.S. rule in a lawsuit. American Farm Bureau Federation Deputy General Counsel Travis Cushman says the new WOTUS rule once again gives the federal government sweeping authority over private lands. So the EPA just came out with another rule which doubles down on the significant excess test, which is this unworkable test for jurisdiction of when the federal government regulates farms and ranches. And so we filed our lawsuit to stop it. Cushman says the new rule is vague and creates uncertainty for agriculture. We think that a farmer and a rancher should not have to hire a team of lawyers and consultants to figure out what they can and cannot farm on their land. This rule doubles down on that, and we simply want to respect the limits of the Clean Water Act and what a farmer can and can't do on their land. The new rule comes as AFBF and others await a pending decision from the Supreme Court in the case Sackett versus EPA related to a former version of the rule. It highlights how insane it is that EPA is going through with this rulemaking now. That decision, which could come out at any time now, will likely delineate the scope of what the Clean Water Act is. For the EPA to try to jump the gun here and do something before the Supreme Court says what the proper limit is makes no sense, and it creates more confusion in an area that has already been with confusion for the past 10, 20 years now. Again, that's American Farm Bureau Federation Deputy General Counsel Travis Cushman. Now, another one of the groups that is involved in the lawsuit is the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. As we see that NCBA's Mary Thomas Hart, their chief counsel, says the Biden rule does exempt some farm features like drainage ditches, stock ponds, and prior converted farmland, but not those like streams that only flow when it rains. But why a lawsuit now when the Supreme Court may narrow the definition of WOTUS when it rules in the Sackett versus EPA case in a few months? Here's what Mary Thomas Hart has to say. One of the biggest reasons we filed the lawsuit is to hold off implementation of the rule until we hear back from the Supreme Court. You know, halt the rule until we're able to argue the merits of the case. And then obviously we'll fight to get the rule vacated permanently. Over 1,700 cattle producers last year sent messages to the EPA opposing the agency's sweeping definition of WOTUS, but Hart claims EPA didn't listen. Producers across the country are going to be required to spend a lot of money to figure out 
if they need additional permits, if they're going to be subject to enforcement, that is is not at all what, what farmers and ranchers need to, to have to spend their money on. Now, also non-agriculture groups in the lawsuit include the American Petroleum Institute, the Associated General Contractors of America, and many others. American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval issued a statement as well that the new WOTUS rule again gives the federal government sweeping authority over private lands and creates uncertainty for farmers, even if they're miles from the nearest navigable water. It'll be interesting to watch how this all unfolds in the weeks and months ahead. We'll also news out on Friday, CHS Incorporated going to begin construction this spring on a new grain shuttle facility in southeast South Dakota, a strategic location in its Pacific Northwest corridor. Rick Dusick, executive vice president of CHS Ag Retail Operations, says, quote, we continue to reinvest in projects to bring even more value to our owners while expanding customer focused retail solutions for area farmers. Our continued focus is on making investments on behalf of our farmer owners that will strengthen rural America and help meet the growing demand for agricultural products and services. The new facility will include industry-leading technology and the latest safety features in the new 1.1 million bushel grain facility. It will be built near the intersection of Interstate 29 and State Highway 44 in southeast South Dakota and tie into an existing rail loop currently used for CHS agronomy operations. The facility will feature fast and efficient, receiving and loadout capabilities to bring area farmers even more market access in the Pacific Northwest Grain Corridor and other important markets. And the facility will create a safer environment for employees as well, farmers and community members through cleaner operating conditions and updated equipment with enhanced safety features. Again, CHS going to build a new grain shuttle facility near Sioux Falls coming up here this spring. Well, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association President-elect Todd Wilkinson released a statement on the USDA's proposed rule on electronic identification for transporting cattle over state lines. He said, quote, as USDA has worked toward a nationally significant traceability program, NCBA has engaged with industry stakeholders in USDA to ensure that cattle producers are represented and protected. Any program must allow maximum flexibility and privacy while minimizing costs for producers and any industry disruptions, end quote. Now, Wilkinson also chairs the NCBA Traceability Working Group, added, quote, NCBA is committed to working with USDA to ensure workable solutions are identified and implemented, end quote. Now, NCBA says foot and mouth disease outbreaks around the world continue to result in disruptions to commerce and depopulate livestock, and that means immediate action is needed. They say the um, cattle producers can be confident that any finished product will protect the nation's livestock herd. The NCBA is continuing to review the proposed rule in its entirety. Farm lending activity continued to gradually increase along with further growth in loan sizes. The Kansas City Federal Reserve says the average size of non-real estate farm loans was about 20% higher than a year ago, and that drove an increase in lending volumes for the fourth straight quarter. Average interest rates on farm loans rose sharply alongside higher benchmark rates and reached a 10-year high, putting additional upward pressure on financing costs. The outlook for farm finances remained favorable alongside elevated commodity prices, but Increased interest rates, challenging weather, and high production costs remain key concerns. Higher expenses contributed to a rebound in lending last year, but strong income and liquidity likely limited the financing needs of many producers. Looking ahead, elevated operating expenses could put additional upward pressure on loan demand. Lending activity was 7% higher than last year. Production expenses have also increased by 15% since 2020. 
Definitely plenty of things to watch uh, when it comes to the economic side, uh, looking at farm lending and more and how it all ties into our bottom lines on the farm. Definitely a lot to keep our eyes on. And of course, we'll do that right here on Market Talk. We're out of time for the show today. Thanks again to Ted Seifert with Zaner Agheads for joining us earlier on, as well as comments with Arlen Suderman of StoneX. Appreciate him being on the show as always. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.